3: It's the Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network.
4: The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance.
3: And welcome this crisp December morning to the Sonic Society, the world's largest showcase of modern audio drama. We've got a full day, so we'll endeavour to be brief, but of course I'm here with the expositional extraordinaire, David Alt. Yes, thanks Jack, and good morning. So, this week on our run-up to Christmas, we have two features in that holiday vein, beginning with Maísa Besada's amazing Ace Galaxy and An Unwritten Christmas. The lists have been checked, naughty and nice. Then St Nick got unwanted advice. A disaster at destiny wiped Christmas off the page. Not a toy was left on the holiday stage. Will this year's Christmas be empty and stark? The only clue we have is a big question mark well-rhymed, sir. Well, well well-written, sir. Thank you for (laughs) providing me with the script. Well, that was from Mesa herself. (laughs) And our final feature is a tale from the immensely talented Matt Leong with black boxes. And they both begin right here. On the Sonic Society.
5: The lists had been checked, naughty and nice. Then Saint Nick got unwanted advice. A disaster at Destiny wiped Christmas off the page. Not a toy was left on the holiday stage. Will this year's Christmas be empty and stark? The only clue we have is a big question mark.
1: has arrived.
0: I never thought I'd say this, Rudy, but now that we're about to get off this rock, I
1: think I'm actually going to miss that sound. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Yep, 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 big guy. Hard to believe the unending tour of duty has finally come to an end. Yes, it is. All right, Rudy. Check the names on the n lists and send the request to the elves. No, no, no. Not a request this time your jolliness. It's a letter from the EIC forward slash GBD.
0: Editor-in-Chief of the Giant Book of Destiny? Oh no, that's never good news. What does it say?
1: Dear Nick, you've been doing such a great job bringing hope and cheer and goodwill to that backward, barely visible blue dot where you've been stationed. We've decided to extend your assignment another 500 years. Congratulations!
0: Is that congratulations from her or you?
1: Uh, me. You just said you were going to miss the sound of the mail bell. I hate the sound of the mail bell. Rudy, how long did we sign up for? 700 years, boss.
0: Full pay and you only have to work one day a year, they said.
1: Lots of time to work on your memoir, you said. Did I complain when they extended our stay 500 years the first time? You did not, Master of Joy. No, no, no. Did I put up a fuss when they extended it another 500 years? Yes, yes. No. After you had a little think about it, and I pointed out that the only thing you had written so far in your memoir was your name, no, you didn't.
0: We have accepted this cushy job for too long. No more milk. No more cookies. But
1: you love cookies and milk, big guy.
0: Well, I don't love the chimneys. Up and down, up and down. I feel like Sisyphus, who never managed to get off this rock. Oh,
1: way worse for Sisyphus, boss. He doesn't get a single day off from rolling that gravity-heavy boulder all the way up the mountain. Plus, there's that liver thing. You have 364 days of leisure to spend in joyful bliss with a delightful missus. True. But no!
0: I will not do another tour of duty. Not again. The line must
1: be drawn here. This far! No further, Rudy! Got it? Yep, yep, yep. Okay, uh, what are we going to do about it then, oh bringer of all things wonderful?
0: I'm going to send a little surprise gift to the editor over at Destiny.
1: That doesn't sound like much of a revolt.
0: Ho, ho, ho. Trust me, it will be.
5: Checker Fran, who is this person and why is she so demanding?
6: Ma'am, Fran is not here.
5: She volunteered to
6: take notes at the writer's retreat. This is the receptionist.
5: You pass her every day on your way into the office. The receptionist is always on break when I go by her desk. Why does she want me to sign that paper? She's standing right here, ma'am.
2: Oh, this box got delivered here for you this morning. It's from, uh, St. Nick on Earth. And the paperwork said, surprise for ma'am. It also said it would be extra special if you turned to the page before Christmas 2020 in the giant book of destiny while you open it.
6: The writers did quite a number on that planet in 2020. Good thing
5: we don't allow confluence through. Nick must be happy about the 500-year contract extension we just sent him. Wait, it can't be a surprise. Everything Nick does is pre-written just like everyone else. Why don't I know what's in that package, copy-aid? Ah,
6: if you'll remember, ma'am, you decided that always knowing what was inside a gift was boring. So you made a proviso and put it on a sign above your desk there.
5: What are you talking about? That sign says, don't act all surprised. Your destiny was always written that way.
6: No, the proviso underneath. Saint Nick, with his knack for knowing just what to give, combined with his gift manufacturing facility on Earth, may send surprises.
2: Ooh, I saw a picture of the last surprise he sent you on the destiny group chat, ma'am. That pretty
5: little red peekaboo thing with yes, the big- Yes, I remember. Copy it. See what's going on in the book just before Christmas
6: 2020. Nick walks into the elves' workshop where everyone is hard at work. That's what it says pretty much every day of his life. The only one with a more predictable destiny is Sisyphus.
5: I wonder what that's got to do with whatever's in this package. Ooh, a candle! I bet it smells beautiful. Light it, copy Fire! Oh no! It's ruined! Stop worrying about your hair, receptionist. Be thankful the sprinklers worked the way they were supposed to. I'm
2: not worried about my hair, ma'am. It's the book. It got soaked so bad. The words got completely smudged off the page. And my nails are ruined.
6: That surprise fire was no accident. Nick must have done this on purpose to escape his destiny. (laughs)
0: Understand when you all speak at once. Head Elf, explain what happened.
5: We were doing an inventory count in the storeroom and all the toys suddenly vanished. They vanished? Yes, as if they were never even there.
0: So, what are you going to do?
5: We don't know. It's like someone took our lives off of autopilot and d- none of us have ever learned how to drive.
0: Great. Dasher, Dancer. Rudy, we're free from the yoke of destiny. Come on, we're getting off this rock.
5: Nick, where are you going? Hey, come back.
1: Christmas.
5: What about Christmas? You can't
2: leave us like this. Think of the children.
7: So, let me get this straight, ma'am. You're telling me that Santa is an alien?
8: I do not understand why you are
5: acting so surprised, Ace. You already knew aliens visit your planet. Mr. Galaxy, you are knitting about all the wrong things here. Christmas on your planet is one day away. The gifts have all disappeared and even if there were still gifts, there is no Santa to deliver them.
2: Such a tragedy! Imagine how many breaks worth of milk and cookies are gonna go to waste!
7: But Santa, he's an alien?
6: Yeah, technically, since the creator's recycling pile is used for both creation building materials and as a destination for leftovers, nothing is uh, actually alien. It's just the same
5: odds and ends shuttling in from different directions. Hoppyade, this is no time for pointless philosophical ramblings. Ace, did you actually think a human being could circumnavigate your globe in a single night and go up and down all those chimneys without even mussing up his suit?
7: No, I haven't believed in Santa
6: since I was a kid. Ah, remember, ma'am, we had disbelief written into everyone's destiny as a cost-cutting measure to limit the amount of time the elves would have to work each year.
5: Mr. Galaxy, your planet is full of alien. Uh,
6: papa, not alien, ma'am.
5: Other world beings. Elves, fairies,
6: ginn, leprechauns, pixies, selkies, trolls, unicorns! and
2: unicorns. Uh... Don't forget the unicorns. What? I happen to have a lot of time to read Destiny Now magazines down in reception. I happen to like keeping track of what the unis is doing.
5: Other world beings are dispatched to help the humans on your planet explore the concepts of wonder and magic. To give them a distraction from their humdrum lives.
6: And to teach lessons in compassion and hope.
4: Boring. How about we all jump straight ahead to a spectacular finish?
7: So, you have absolutely no idea where Santa went?
5: No, the sprinklers washed away Nick's ties with his destiny. He could be anywhere in existence now.
7: Ma'am,
6: if we can't get Nick back in time and replace those gifts, people on Earth may never recover from the devastating disappointment. And with an open, unwritten page in Earth's destiny, all the other, other world creatures might want to leave too.
2: Oh, no! No! According to destiny now, without fairies and selkies and gin, Earth will become a desolate, magicless
5: place without any imagination! Forget about that! Copy Aid, we can't risk Sisyphus leaving. We need someone to pointlessly roll the boulder up that mountain every day. What you need is a Santa seeking missile!
7: Nothing quite so drastic, Dee, but. If we're going to pick up Nick's trail, we need to figure out what drives Santa Claus.
8: Reindeer!
4: Bloodhound Reindeer!
8: Ace, are you alright? You seem to be sneezing much more than usual. Would you like me to examine you in the medbay?
7: No, Phoenix. I'm not sick. It's all this mistletoe you've hung everywhere. I... I think I'm allergic.
8: I am sorry, Ace. I thought if I set a Christmas mood, it would help with your investigation.
7: It's not helping. And neither are all those blue lights you've strung everywhere. I can barely see where I'm going. My research must have been an error.
8: With Santa missing, I thought you would have a blue, blue, blue Christmas without him. It's... <laughs> However, if it will help you with your investigation, I will get rid of all the holiday adornments.
4: One more holiday
6: adornment you need to get rid of.
7: Sorry, Dee, for this investigation we need you right where you are.
6: Why do I have to be the dumb reindeer all alone out here pulling the ship?
7: We
8: cannot both be reindeer, Dee. Ace needs a place to ride. Are you comfortable riding inside me, Ace? Uh,
7: Phoenix, uh... He rides
4: inside you every day, Phoenix. Phoenix,
7: D, we're getting off topic here. D, do your job and use the sensors in your reindeer nose to track the only other reindeer in space.
8: Ace, even with our sensors precisely calibrated to search out the scent of reindeer and candy canes, space is an awfully big...
7: space. Where do you think we should start? I've been thinking about this... Nick has been living at the North Pole for 1,700 years, right? Yes. Snow and cold year-round. What's the first thing you'd want to do after leaving a place like that?
4: Blow myself up.
8: I would go to somewhere warm and colorful. Probably a pleasure planet.
7: Exactly. Can you project all the predominantly warm pleasure planets in a radius of a day's reindeer travel on your view screen?
6: Hey, Phoenix. Ace, I think I smelled something sweet and reindeery in the vicinity of the planet Ahmed, two parsecs from here.
8: Onward, D. Hold on tight, Ace. It is going to be a bumpy ride. I will try to make it as pleasurable as possible.
2: Okay, everyone. I hope you've studied your cue sheets. Destiny is waiting for us to set this time frame in motion. Are you ready? Yes. Come on, let's show some enthusiasm out here. The writers up there might think they're the stars of the Destiny show, but without traffic... Existence would be at a standstill. What are we?
7: The 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 Time. 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 time.
2: Say it like you mean it. Energy up. It's hard to be enthusiastic when we haven't had a raise in in ever. We are artists here. Pay isn't our primary consideration. The art is. We're starving, Milford. Right. Starving artists. You are playing out your destiny. Just like everyone else. <laughs>
6: stop the show, Milford. We cannot stop
2: the show. Destiny depends on us. Who are you? What? I'm the... the copy
6: I come down here almost every day to deliver your cue sheets. Plus we had a date two nights ago. Don't you remember?
7: (laughs) I date a lot of beings. Oh, hello, you.
2: Who? Me?
7: Yes, you. Have I ever dated you?
2: Oh, you bet your twinkle toes, twinkle toes. We're scheduled in on the second day of every cycle.
6: Milford, we have a destiny emergency. You are the only one who can help us.
7: <laughs> uh, no surprise there, but I have a show to get out. In the next Zetto second, I've got a hovercraft to crash on Zinda-12. Septuplet mer to birth on Enceladus.
2: Oh, I called uh- in your understudies to run the regular show. The editor up there said we're facing a showstopper and...
7: Showstopper? No. The show must go on. Explain. It
6: will be Christmas on Earth tomorrow.
2: You think I don't know
6: that? I'm the choreographer of... of- time. Yes, we know. But there's been a problem. The gifts from Nick's manufacturing facilities have all disappeared. What? I didn't cue that!
2: There was a small accident. That's why we're here.
6: We need you to be the choreographer of toys. The choreographer of toys? (laughs) (laughs) That will be a tough nut to crack, but I can do it. (laughs) Cue holiday music!
2: Set up three chorus lines. You search the building and enlist everyone on break. Tell them this is the big break. You bet, Twinkle Toes. See you next cycle. Come on, people. Kick up your appendages. We've got
5: a show to unstop.
2: Hello, approaching ship. This is
1: can we do for
7: you? They seem awfully friendly, Phoenix. Put me through. You are transmitting, Ace. Greetings, I'm at control. Space Dick Ace Galaxy here. I'm currently investigating the disappearance of- Is
5: that a reindeer pulling your ship? I'm a self-destruct
2: program.
7: I'm at control, please don't be alarmed. We come in peace
5: your measly weapons, we can defend ourselves. Hey, watch who you're calling measly. Like I told the last guy with reindeer who tried to land here. No, pets.
2: Get the walls with balls and tinsel. La 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 la
5: la la la. Receptionist, please stop broadcasting all that infernal singing throughout the building. Copy-aid! How is the toy manufacturing coming?
6: Milford says he's already cross-referenced the requests of the three billion impacted children on Earth against the naughty and nice lists. And he's got every available body in the building on the assembly chorus line.
2: All together now! Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way!
5: Sounds like Milford might manage to get the toys ready in time. Let's just hope Ace can find a nick and convince him to return to Earth so that we have someone to deliver them.
2: Oh, hey! You're standing under the mistletoe! Someone hold my gum.
7: Are you picking up anything else out there, Dee? No, nothing, Ace. I've totally lost the scent.
8: Ace? Dee does not need you to knit her a blanket covered with the faces of crying children to wear out there. She is not really a reindeer.
7: Knitting usually helps empty my head enough for answers to come through, but today my empty head keeps filling up with the faces of broken-hearted, disappointed children. A reindeer once managed to save Christmas. Why can't I? I do not understand. How did a reindeer save Christmas? Rudolph used his red nose to... That's it! Phoenix, do you have the light frequency of Rudolph's red nose in any of the data Destiny sent us about Christmas before we left?
6: I've got it! There's a light shining at that frequency on the pleasure planet Nativus. Hold
2: on tight!
7: Are you Nick? Who wants to know? I'm Space Dick, Ace Galaxy. She must
1: have sent him, big guy. She who? She who must be obeyed.
7: My wife? The editor-in-chief of the giant Book of Destiny sent me. Pull up a seat, young man. Have
0: some refreshments. But know this. There is nothing you can say to make me go back.
7: I totally understand. You've done your bit. You've brought enough joy to enough children. So... What are you going to do with all of your free time?
0: Whatever I want.
1: Uh, Where would you like the reindeer to dump the snow they gathered from the top of the mountain, boss?
7: Right here. So, what you want to do is sip milk a and eat cookies while reindeer dump snow at your feet to play in on a sunny, pleasure planet.
1: Ho-Ho Happiness is also working on his memoir.
7: His memoir?
1: Yep, yep, yep. If that one day of work he had to do a year hadn't interrupted him, Nick could be on a best-seller universal book tour by now.
7: You only worked one day out of 365? When you put it that way, it doesn't sound so bad. Yet, that single day a year that you worked had so much purpose. It influenced everyone to remember the importance of sharing and putting others first. You did more in your single day on the job than most do in a lifetime. I stopped believing in you when I grew up, but everything good that I believe in this world is because of you. It is?
1: That's great stuff for your memoir, boss.
7: Back at the North Pole, you'll have all the things you love, plus 182,000 days to create that bestseller. 182,000 days. That sounds like just enough time. Phoenix, great news. Christmas is saved.
8: Yes, Ace, we know. We have been monitoring your conversation, but there is a problem.
7: Wait, what problem?
8: Milford blew it. It is the toys, Ace. We went back to Destiny to pick them up and found out Milford had the assembly chorus line kick up three billion whistles
0: dasher dancer rudy let's get back to the north pole we've got work to do okay elves we are facing a situation like we've never faced before christmas is tomorrow and we don't have a single toy to give
5: yeah that's true nick we don't have a single
1: toy made
0: do any of you have any idea what we can do are there leftover toys from previous years? Should we send a delegation to the island of misfit toys? If we work around the clock, can we manufacture enough for a country or our
5: town? Uh, we uh, can get it all done, Nick.
0: All done? You can do the work of 364 days in one day?
5: Yep. <laughs> we just don't like to broadcast it, Nick. You know, job security and all that.
0: <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Well... Let's get some hot chocolate on the stove and get to work.
1: You want me to bring you a pen, your merriness, so you can get to work on your memoir? How
0: about we start with some cookies? We've got a big day ahead of us tomorrow, Rudy. The memoir can wait just a little longer. Ho, ho, ho!
5: And so you see not being written didn't stop Christmas from coming it came somehow or other it came just the same
7: An Unwritten Christmas was written and produced by Misa Posada and directed by Martin Biot the show featured Marlo Alcock as editor-in-chief of the giant book of destiny and Amat Control Martin Biot as Ace Galaxy and Rudy Lisa Kalasma as Phoenix and Reception Dave Cooey as Nick JC Paquette as Milford and Head Elf Stephanie Snyder as D and Traffic Assistant, and Nishan Varmani as Copy Sound designed by Mysa Basada and Lisa Kalasma, with story contributions from Marlo Alcock, Martin Biot, Lisa Kalasma, Dave Cooey, JC Paquette, and Stephanie Snyder. Music and sound effects from audio blocks. If you enjoyed the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash acegalaxy. Stay tuned for season four, protesting the future set to premiere in the spring of 2021.
4: Black Boxes by Matt Leong. Narrated by Tanya Milevich. Casey, with a K, checked her lipstick in the mirror. She stood in the cotton candy pink ceramic tiled woman's bathroom of the afton branch of St. Louis Central Bank, generously applying her luscious crimson lipstick. Her mother called it hot rod whore and threw it away when she found it on Casey's nightstand. Casey later fished it out and hid it deep at the bottom of her purse. She loved how this particular shade of red popped in startling contrast to her alabaster foundation. Casey checked her eye makeup, making sure that the thick black strokes of her Egyptian eyeliner had not smudged behind the frames of her cat-eyed glasses. As she left the bathroom, she was serenaded by Mariah Carey over the speakers singing, All I Want for Christmas, for the fifth time today. She had to hurry now. It was almost closing time, and Bill, the assistant manager, reminded her to collect the daily paperwork to be shredded. Casey had been actively dodging shredding duty to annoy him. He was always on her ass, watching every move she made. She would glare at him angrily from the corners of her eyes. The chore of gathering and disposing paperwork to be shredded was simple, and it gave her a moment to get away from the teller line. But this small act of rebellion really brought her great satisfaction. It had been fun until Christina, the manager, grew tired of employees ducking out on daily tasks and set up an assignment board. Christina had the nerve to schedule her for shred and popcorn duty for the whole week. Casey picked up the blue plastic bin that she had left outside the bathroom door and walked down the hall to the shred room. She fumbled with her keys in one hand, trying to unlock the steel door as she held the bin under her other arm. She pushed her way into the dark room. The security door slammed behind her. Casey groped in the dark at the wall and found the light switch and flipped it. The fluorescent overhead lights flicked on with a cold blue glow. The air was toasty from the server rack that was sitting in the corner. Casey found the whirring of the server's fan to be comforting. The small space was filled with a pile of bankers' boxes, a stack of chairs, and a small desk with a small, flat screen monitor. The monitor was tied into the bank's security system. The screen was split into a checkerboard of all video feeds from all the cameras in the bank. Casey moved towards the shredder. A large, flat, gray rectangular box that sat on top of a wheeled cart, parked against the back wall. Above it was a pixelated black and white still image of the great white shark from the movie Jaws, chowing down on the aft of the orca, the boat from the movie. In large white and black letters, the sign read, watch your hands or Jaws will get you. Casey was still a newish employee, but the machine was simple to use. Danny, who had been here six months longer than her, had shown her the ropes. Bruh, it's super easy. Danny had told her. All you have to do is flip the switch on the back corner. The loud drone of the shredder's motor spun up quickly. Danny pointed to the large square opening on the front of the machine. Next, you just dump all the papers into Jaws' mouth. Casey tipped the bin, feeding the day's collection of deposit slips, receipts, and printouts. Jaws gobbled up the paper effortlessly into strands of paper tape. just that easy her eyes wandered around the room as she waited for the shredder to finish she glanced over at the security monitor watching the activity in the branch on the top row of boxes across the screen she could see the other tellers at their windows closing their drawers there was a view of the empty lobby drive-up window and from the camera mounted above the door she had come through she could even see the back of her own head in a small square in the bottom corner of the screen. The small square in the opposite corner appeared to be a blank feed. Or was it? Casey wasn't sure, but she thought that she could make out something, something moving in that black box. It looked like a slightly lighter black shape was moving on top of the darker background. She looked at it hard, squinting her eyes, trying to make it out something inside the lighter gray shape was moving like a mouth opening and closing trying to say something the shredder abruptly shuddered to a stop startling casey back to her task she looked back at the monitor the small video in the corner was just a black square again she picked up the blue bin on her way out and wondered if she had imagined the whole thing At her teller window, Casey counted the money, batched her checks, and closed her drawer. The bank employees dispersed into the frosty December evening, scrambling to their cars while dodging patches of ice and banks of plowed snow. Casey walked to the 7-Eleven across the street where her boyfriend would pick her up. St. Louis is a city of drivers, a side effect of urban sprawl. People love their cars in their neighborhoods of McMansions leaving very little tax revenue for a proper mass transit system. That is why so many people are surprised that Casey managed to make it halfway through her 20s without getting her driver's license. She had to wait on boyfriend to pick her up. It was dark and strangely quiet. The convenience store was deserted, with the exception of the clerk that was deeply immersed in whatever was on his phone. She huddled next to the payphone that was crippled by its missing receiver. She shivered as the December wind whipped at her skirt. Even with her heavy cable knit leggings, her calves began to go numb. She pulled her jacket tightly around her. She had forgotten her phone charger and now her battery had gone dead. There was no Facebook, Instagram, Candy Crush, no Snapchat, and no Pokemon to catch. The lack of stimulation was unsettling. Without distraction, she heard noises that she had never noticed before. She turned to peek inside the front window of the 7-Eleven to check the clock that was mounted above the Slurpee machine. It was five minutes till five and Boyfriend was late. If she had only remembered to bring her charger, then she could have called him to remind him to pick her up. It was times like these that boyfriend's irrational aversion to alarms became such a huge issue in their relationship. Casey's eyes fall from the wall clock to the security monitor that sat on the counter next to the clerk. It was just like the one in the shred room with the multiple camera feeds split into smaller squares. There was even one empty black square in the bottom right-hand corner. In that lone, dark frame, she could make out something moving. A dark, dark amoeba's shape. It was like watching a lava lamp full of black, viscous ink. Even from outside the window, she could see that something was happening. Something was taking shape. Watching it made her dizzy. She felt that she was falling into it. She felt like she was choking. Casey opened her mouth wide to try and draw a breath, but she could not bring in any air. Then a flash of light and a loud blare startled her. She jumped, throwing herself off balance. Casey began to tip over, rolling her left ankle. Desperately, she lunged with her right arm and managed to grab onto the derelict payphone stall before she tumbled over. Casey looked up to see Boyfriend's brown boxy 1992 Subaru Loyal. It was rusted and dirt covered in a mix of mud and salt residue the ancient driver's side manual window rolled down in a series of jerks. "'Eh?' said boyfriend. Casey's mother had referred to him as an Ewok, and many would agree. His round shape, bushy brown, unkempt hair, untrimmed beard, and dark, beady eyes made for a compelling argument. "'What?' he asked, with his mouth hanging open like a large mouth bass. She turned back to look inside the store, and saw that that small swatch of black on the monitor was replaced with a real-time view of the short hallway leading to the bathroom. Nothing, she said, opening the passenger side door. It whined with age and wear. Nothing is wrong. I'm just tired. A week had passed without any other incidents, though Casey did find herself on thin ice with management. She had almost been caught listening to the audiobook version of The Lord of the Rings on her phone, on the teller line, while she used a wireless Bluetooth earbud that was hidden in her hair. She was barely able to palm it and slip it into her purse before the assistant manager could catch her with it. She knew that she was being observed, and that if she got caught, she would most certainly have got written up. It would be strike two against her, and she couldn't afford that. Casey? asked her manager. Would you please do shred? The question made her stomach twist. She had avoided going into the shred room since that weird day last week. It left her feeling unsettled. I- I'm adding up my checks right now, she replied. I see that. The manager's eyebrows furrowed. But both Danny and Mumta are opening accounts with customers. I have to get out of here on time tonight, so please take care of the shred and empty out the coffee graphs. Casey set down the stack of checks and picked up the big blue shred bin that sat next to her feet. She began to make the rounds, gathering up all of the discarded paperwork from the day. She crossed the lobby, which was draped in many Christmas lights and long ropes of glistening gold garland. She gathered the refuse from each teller window and then the offices of the loan officers— but still, she couldn't bring herself to go through the steel door of the shred room. Casey set the bin next to the door and went to empty out the carafes of complimentary swill that passed as coffee that was made each morning. She took her time, pouring out and rinsing both caraffs. She went back to the security door and the bin still waited for her. Casey picked it up and held out the key to unlock the door. She could not bring herself to do it. Her arm froze, the extended hand unable to slot the key into the lock. Casey turned and went back to the break room and found an empty banker's box. She dumped the contents of the bin inside the empty box, closed the cardboard lid on top, and stuck the box in the corner. She grabbed boxes of coffee and popcorn and stagged them on top of the shred for good measure, hopefully hiding them in plain sight. She knew she couldn't get away with this for long, and she was going to have to figure out something else. Casey lived with her boyfriend in the basement of her parents' house, in a West County suburb of St. Louis. Casey's dad, Mitchell, was a lead engineer at Boeing. Her mom, Jean, is a neurosurgeon at Barnes Hospital. They waited till their early 40s to have kids. The pregnancy was textbook and almost effortless, with a scheduled C-section. Growing up, Casey wanted for nothing. She floated through school without goals or ambition, managing to get by with as little work as possible. In her late 20s, she knew the days of her low-stakes lifestyle were coming to an end. Casey wondered how much longer she would be able to stay in the basement before her dad started leaving real estate ads for apartments circled in red at the breakfast table. Boyfriend was sprawled across the bed, asleep, mouth hanging open, one arm wrapped around an open box of Fruit Loops. Adult Swim blared on the television. Casey sat at her desk with a bowl of cheese puffs on her right and a can of warm Diet Coke with a bendy straw on her left. On her computer, she pushed on through a massively multiplayer online game, Battleforge is the Blood Elf Warrior, Ursula the Impaler. In game, she strolled onward, brandishing Deathmonger, her spiked morning star, into the Valley of Dread. Casey was on the hunt for this season's rare winter festival relic. This year's prize was the Aurora Frag Jilay Limb, a sculpture of a leg that would glow and mesmerize your enemies. She wiped her orange Cheeto-stained fingertips on her Hello Kitty pajama top, then tapped the up arrow key moving her character along the virtual landscape. The walls of the valley towered above her by hundreds of feet. The skies were red, and in the distance, she could hear the war drums of the skull troll Clan. As she ran toward the valley, the beating of the drums grew louder. She strode along the path for what seemed to be hours. The sky dimmed from red to purple, then black. Finally, the towering walls of the valley came to an end. As she exited the valley, she came upon a well. The well was rectangular in shape, made of blocks of sandstone that came up to her waist. She used the shift and Z keys to make her character look down into the well, hoping to see that there might be a relic to be collected. All she saw were swirling dark pools at the bottom. Just as she was about to pull her character away, the contrast of the water shifted dramatically The lighter negative space grew brighter, bringing the darker swirls of the water into the sharp focus of the face that had been following Casey across town. This image was the clearer she had seen so far. She could now make out the shape of the words that the face had been mouthing. Join us. Casey's fingers gripped the sides of the keyboard as the face filled the screen, growing closer and closer. The roar of rushing water began to fill her ears. She could smell the damp, earthy smell of the well water. Her grip became so tight that one of the keys on the number pad shattered, sending a shard of plastic into her thumb. (gasps) White, hot currents of pain broke Casey's paralysis. She lifted the keyboard and slammed it against the monitor, sending it flying. It bounced against the wall, knocking over the can of Diet Coke and sending the bowl of Cheetos flying into the air. The dramatic motion caused Casey to fall back out of her chair. She landed flat on her butt, a bolt of pain up her back. The monitor fell to the floor with a large pop, a spark, and a puff of smoke. Dark streams of murky water seeped from the seams of the monitor, leaving large, wet patches on the carpet. Boyfriend sat up from the bed, mouth open, sweaty hair spikes resembling a compass rose the fuck is going on, Casey? Tears streamed down her face. Her gasping mouth reminded boyfriend of his sister's goldfish, the one he scooped out of the tank and dropped onto the floor, just to see how long it took before the fish asphyxiated. I broke my keyboard. Casey held up her bleeding thumb with the shard of broken plastic. Shit, Casey. Take that to the bathroom before you get blood on the carpet. I've been getting enough crap from your mom. I know she will blame me for this. Casey went to the bathroom and with shaking fingers pulled the sliver of keyboard from her thumb. She ran cold water over the wound, added a dab of antiseptic cream and a My Little Pony bandage. She went to bed, but every time she closed her eyes, all she could see was that amorphous face screaming at her. By three in the morning, she was desperate to sleep. She had self-medicated with a shot of NyQuil. This worked too well, and she slept through her alarm. This series of events set the tone for the rest of the day. She could hardly walk because of the fall she had taken from her chair the previous night. She had broken her coccyx. Now she moved around the bank like an old woman. During her shift, she gave the wrong amount of cash back to one customer, incorrectly filled out paperwork for sending a wire. And the checks in her drawer were out of balance. After all that, Casey did not want to do shred. When confronted by the head cashier, Tara, Casey had no good excuse not to empty the shred bins. What was she to tell her? That she was afraid to go into the shred room because she had seen something in the security monitor? As she collected the daily work, she berated herself for not coming up with some reason for her not to shred. She should have told her about falling out of her chair last night, or about the carpal tunnel in her wrist that was acting up. She had managed to put it up for the past several days. She was hoping to get Matthew to do it for her. He was a total cream puff and would have done it if she had asked nicely. But he was off today, and Bill, the assistant manager, had been on her ass all day because he caught her dozing on the job. She emptied the last of the refuse into the bin and with great trepidation, she walked down the hallway to the security door, unlocked it and stepped inside. From outside the room, Casey could hear the dance of the sugar plum fairies playing over the speakers in the lobby. She focused on the shredder, willing herself to look nowhere else. She would not look up at the security monitor. She would throw all the papers into the fucking shredder, turn around, and get the fuck out. It was a good plan, and she was sticking with it. She slammed her fist on the switch, activated the shredder, and began to wildly shove handfuls of paper into the mouth of the machine. The shredder's motor was having a difficult time keeping pace with the rate that Casey was feeding it. Confetti-sized scraps of deposit slips began to burp back out of the machine. The motor began to whine and knock as Casey kept cramming in statements and forms. She stared in at the dark, rectangular mouth of the shredder, feeding it handful after handful of paper. Casey could see waves of shredded paper tape rolling back and forth inside the machine until it began to spill out from the shredder's mouth. Casey frantically tried to shove it back inside it was then that she felt the handfuls of paper tendrils begin to twist around her fingers entangling around her hands she tried to pull her hands back but there was no give the strands of shredded paper tape had the tensile strength of steel cables thin coarse strips ran up her forearms the wrapping around her fingers constricted the edges cut deep thin ribbons of blood flowed down her arms soaking the paper strips thin rivulets became steady streams of blood drizzling down on the cement floor the paper tendrils were pulling her in she tried to dig in her heels but her feet slipped on the cement floor that had become slick with blood she screamed again and again the only thing anyone heard outside that room was dominic the christmas donkey on its sixth rotation of the day She thought if she could brace one foot against the shredder and she could manage one great pull, she could tear herself free. She threw her weight back, and the strands that were coiled around her fingers dug deeper into her flesh. She screamed in pain, but she managed to get one foot firmly planted on the front of the machine. She dug deep, closed her eyes, and gave a great pull against the tangle. She thought she felt the shredder begin to give up, just a bit of slack. She felt a little smile begin to creep across her face. I've got you, you f-. She opened her eyes, and the last thing she saw was a monitor screen filled with cells of agonized, screaming faces. Men and women, young and old. Each of them disfigured by pain and horror. Shit! It was the last word she spoke before she heard the motor of the shredder kick in with an unearthly whine. Casey with a K was found 20 minutes later by Bill, the assistant manager. The first thing he saw was blood seeping out from under the door of the shred room. He opened the door and saw Casey's legs dangling from the mouth of the shredder. The yellow overheat indicator light blinked away as bill grabbed the blue shred bin and vomited casey's body had been shredded it had caused the collection bin to burst open spraying ground flesh across the walls a large pile of shredded casey spilled out onto the floor sitting in the middle of the room was casey's black cat-eyed glasses with a crack running down the right lens The police were called and the branch was closed. The employees interviewed and sent home. An ambulance and several police cars remained in the lot with lights flashing, drawing the attention of drive-by gawkers on their evening commute. Inside the shred room, Detective Harriet Gavinport squatted carefully beside a pile of ground meat. Harriet was grateful for the slip-on paper footies that wrapped her sensible black shoes with the chunky heels She got up carefully to avoid the knee of her chinos from touching the floor and staining her pants with blood that covered every square inch of the floor and most of the walls. Harriet's gloved hand prodded around the small mountain of meat with one of the cheap gray plastic pens she'd found in the lobby. It was a lump of pulp skin tissue entangled with the shredded bloody fabric of the victim's blouse. The walls of the small room were covered in blood and bits. It looked like she had been fed into a wood chipper rather than a paper shredder. The detective had no idea how she was going to write this up. Was this an accident? There were no signs of foul play. And after 15 years on the force, she had never seen anything like this. She had left the city police department to get away from stuff like this. Before becoming a cop, Harriet went to school to be an engineer. She had taken enough classes to know that the amount of torque needed to pull three quarters of a grown woman into a machine with a motor that small was very improbable. A shredder of this size and power could have only taken part of the girl's hand before seizing the motor. Harriet tried to do the math in her head on how big an electric motor would have to be to shred a human being. The security video showed that the girl had come in by herself and then the screen just went black. No one in the lobby had heard anything. They went looking for her when they were waiting for her to leave for the day. While none of the other employees were big fans of Casey, not one of them had any motive to kill her. The surveillance cameras even showed that no one besides Casey had even been in the shred room for the last 24 hours. The only person who had even touched the shred room in the last 72 hours was the victim this is certainly some x-file she muttered to herself harriet suddenly had the feeling like she was being watched she looked up and saw the blood splattered screen above her and for half a second she thought she had seen the form of a face watching her she stood up and looked at the screen and with the cheap plastic pen, she pushed the power button on the monitor, switching the screen off. Black Boxes was written by Madly Young. Script editor was Emily Young. Tanya Milojevic was your narrator. Editing and sound design was by Madly Young 13 Productions. Some sound effects are from freesound.org. And the spooky Halloween soundscapes by Dan Powell from Dead Signals. Creative Commons music is from Incomp Incompatic and Nine Inch Nails. Thank you for listening, and have a happy holiday.
3: And that's this week's show. Please check the show notes for links for both shows this week at sonicsociety.org. Join us next week on an unscheduled ride for St. Nicholas. And to all our listeners, may you all be well and safe during the holiday season. Until the Sunday before Christmas, I'm Jack Ward and I'm David Alt. Good day. Bye now. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. Chauncey Haworth, Mark Slade, and Lothar Tuppen. The demented minds behind the Twisted Pulp Radio Hour bring you... Twisted Pulp Magazine. A journey beyond surreality to worlds you never knew or hoped existed. Worlds of the supernatural... Worlds of dark satire. Worlds of nightmarish futures. Twisted Pulp Magazine. If you thought the 21st century was weird enough already, think again. Twisted Pulp Magazine. A step beyond your grandfather's pulp. Available at digitalvaudeville.com.